We're recording. Apologies for the delivery scooter men revving outside my window. This is Beyond the Pass. Conversations with people from all walks of hospitality life. Centering mental health, Beyond the Pass is a conversation about life, hospitality and what makes us get out of bed each day. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Past podcast by Kelly's Cause Foundation. I'm Tobiana and I'm here today with Zach. Zach is an old friend of mine. We worked together um, many years ago now, actually, and for quite a long time. We used to have some excellent times in the kitchen, lots of laughs, a few tears, I think, and lots (laughs) of quite intense life conversations. I'm going to hand it over to Zach to introduce himself. So, Zach, take it away. Well, hello, I'm Zach. Um, I've been in like hospitality now since the age of, I think around 15, 16. And I've worked various roles where I uh, started off as uh, commie to CDP, uh, from Dorset to London. And now I'm in a role of a head chef. I've also done some bar work and yeah, kind of love hospitality really. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. It's so good to have you here. So I want to kind of ask you, first of all, about your journey into hospitality. So what drew you to wanting to work in hospitality in the first place? Did you fall into it? Did you do it by choice? And what are those different kind of roles that you've stepped into and how you have found that working at a number of different places across your career? Okay, so um, how I actually started was back in Dorset, where I'm born and raised. Uh, there wasn't a lot of job opportunities. So I remember, you all probably remember this, fish and chips is what started my whole journey. I love like the camaraderie in that sort of kitchen. I used to just be that little kid behind the fryer, spotty as hell, because I was working with such greasy food. And it wasn't until I got to university, I got a message from a family friend saying, hey, do you want to come step into this kitchen? It was a little tea room at the time. And I thought, oh, light work, easy. Turned up and saw Chef White a head chef that was so strict, but like have mad respect for him. And he just got me into it, taught me like the fundamentals of cooking. And from that point, just fell in love with it and continued the journey. And what seemed like a summer job became a full blown career, really. From there, I started working with Toriana in Kitchen, uh, which was absolutely brilliant, which was my first like sort of taste of London cooking. And yeah, it was a different sort of pace very tiny kitchen i think when we our first worked there was like four or five of us and yeah through that people would leave people would stay but honestly it was a beautiful space as you said that in the introduction we used to have such great conversations and it was like a very nice diverse cast and from there then went on to working with another friend from uh, the kitchen being Brody, a quick name and big up annapurna <laughs> um, and yeah yeah again was given this sort of space where it was more relaxed, where we just developed a special every day. And it's a lot of these specials on the day and there's nothing was ever planned. So it's like complete free range. You could see what was on MasterChef because it was a MasterChef challenge every day, which is a beautiful way of cooking. And then slowly ended up then tagging on with another friend. And that's led me to now becoming head chef at the Columbia Hotel. Uh, so it's been uh, quite a long journey, not too, too too many spots but yeah like keep leveling up and developing and still loving my role essentially that's so good to hear and I always loved when we worked together hearing your stories of the fish and chip shop they were honestly (laughs) 
outrageous. Um, and you actually learned lots of really good tricks, I think, for things that were really useful. Like whenever oh. the kitchen porter that we had would <laughs> shout out to Alberto, the kitchen porter at Cricket in Brixton, who is genuinely the best person on this planet. Yeah. Um, but on a tired Friday morning would often open the things for the fryer without putting the basket underneath and the oil would spill all over the kitchen and we'd just stand there going, we don't know what to do. And then Zach would grab his bag of flour and be the hero that he is and solve the problem. It honestly happened so many times. Every time we'd be like, right, Zach, take it away. I want to hear a little bit about the things that you love about hospitality. So what is it that keeps drawing you into these roles? What is it that kind of keeps you in the industry? It's a good question because it's actually that's changed over the years. And firstly, I'll say it's always been camaraderie, like working people, working as part of a team and learning. I think that's one thing. Like before, I used to want to be a sort of dancer. And what put me out of that industry was it was very solo. It was like very much you work for yourself. Uh, so I'm not saying every dancer is the same, but for me, I just felt like it was always independent. When I went to the kitchen. I was learning from everybody. Everyone wanted to help each other. There wasn't too much ego in it. And yeah, as that sort of developed and as I said before, I've climbed the ranks and now I'm more in a sort of management slash like, I don't know, head sort of role. It's like now it's kind of sharing knowledge and checking on and just making sure it's a healthy space for everybody and like just enjoying making sure everyone enjoys. So it's like uh, what, re what I really love now is inspiring. So it's like if I get new chefs or someone that's not worked that long in the kitchen, like just being like, yeah, you can do this, tell the story, like all work together and just, I don't know, just like teach new skills, you know. I think, yeah, that's what keeps me in it. That's what the love is for me personally right now is just teaching and, yeah, keeping that space nice. I feel a little bit like a proud mum hearing you say that. <laughs> As you should. Um, okay, on the flip side of that, let's hear about the things that you don't like about hospitality. What are the things that you hate the most and what are the things that you think um, from kind of your journey and your perspective mm. that we need to improve to attract more people to the industry? Because I know we're talking about it a lot, um, but there is a bit of a staff crisis at the moment. I'm not sure whether you have a full team at the moment or whether you're looking for chefs. If you can tell us a little about what you kind of think those things are that are really challenging or the things that you dislike and what you think we can do to start to improve those things to attract new um, and new people to the industry and people back into it. Well, wow. <laughs> uh, as soon as you said staffing, then I had to have a little giggle because I think we're all in the same boat. It's a real struggle at the moment. But I think uh, for me, the things I've always kind of disliked, which I could have done as a younger, was like the hours, I think, are very, very hard to kind of do a work-life balance. So when you're bashing out, like 50 hours is a push, 60 hours though, far too much I don't think any chef really like you do that for two three years you kind of push out time to like I don't know breathe and just have a bit of a social life outside the unsociable hours where you're coming out late at night it's yes for me personally that's the only thing I don't enjoy anymore but it's that whole thing of now rather than saying oh I'll work it it's just putting your foot down and kind of saying enough is enough there's a time zone it, it's like pacing really also sometimes you do get ego and it's a rarity but if you get chefs with ego where they know everything and it's not so much I, i'm not going to say i'm the most knowledgeable chef but i'm so willing to work with others now someone comes in with all the knowledge and not like a segue to come help and we develop together that is my my most hated thing really i think it's just got to be it's a shared space everyone's point can be valid and i think what you learn like 
through the kitchen is like a KP can have great input, can teach you something. I don't know, a waiter might even come to the kitchen and know something, you know, and it's just like listening with open ears. And yet again, respecting those in the higher ranks that do have the knowledge, but still everyone's got to have open ears in the kitchen. I don't think we do that so well all the time, you know. I'd say another thing maybe would be lack of some safeguarding, which I think is getting a bit better, but like obviously, you know, I had my, I had a little break when I was in, uh, uh, I won't name the place, but I had, <laughs> I had a little bit of a breakdown because I did too many hours and I just felt like kind of lost and a bit unsupported during that time. So I think for me, I think it's that whole thing that kind of feeds into ego where people don't want to talk about mental health. And I know when we were working together, it was a big conversation and that was quite a safe space. But when everything started changing and I didn't have such a support group in the kitchen, I think it became a bit like toxic, a bit too toxic masculine, toxic masculinity was just leaking from the fryers and the ovens. It was all <laughs> a big flash, a big muscle flex. So uh, in that sort of respect, I just think, yeah, like these are the things I would not let in well, my kitchens now. I just think, yeah, it's outdated. It's not helpful. You got nothing to prove except for what you can put onto a plate. So I think just, yeah, just, yeah, we need to safeguard more, really. You've raised a lot of good points there. Firstly, those those long hours and what has come out loads this week is all of these trials that they're trying in the UK about the four-day working week. And everyone's like, that'll never work in hospitality. No one will ever be able to do that. But I actually beg to differ. And I think it can work. Mm. If businesses are not able to make that work, then they need to look at whether they should be running a business because yeah. you should be able to make that work and it is possible to have that. And having a four-day working week doesn't mean making make, making everybody work four doubles <laughs> um, and work four 16-hour days or anything like that. But that kind of balance, it actually is possible. And there are now some good examples of places um, that are doing that. And honestly, I, that's going to be the, the grab that I'm going to take from this podcast is toxic masculinity was leaking out of the fryers. <laughs> So, so, so accurate about what can happen when people let their egos take a hold of them. Mm -hmm. um, and then it does, it does start to leak out, doesn't it? You did uh, one of our MHFA courses, must be almost two years ago now, because yeah. it would have been pre-COVID. It was pre, it was pre-COVID, a different world. We didn't know. It would have been, I think it would have been February of 2020. So maybe we knew about the word COVID. Um, and we just thought it was something that was happening in some faraway land that would never affect us, um, what idiots we were. Mm -hmm. But you did the MHFA training course where you learned about how to be a mental health first data, you know, look after your own mental health and also support other people, um, in particular in crisis situations. And then you texted me a couple of days later and told me that you'd already used those skills. And yeah, yeah, again, I've, I've already said it, but big thank you to Tobes. Like, um, yeah, literally, if I didn't do the course, uh, I don't know where a friend of mine would have been. So I remember we did the course on, I think it was a Tuesday. And that same week I, I was working at the time in a new cafe, just doing a bit of cooking. I've got all these missed calls on my phone and I found out a very close friend of mine had actually uh, attempted, like yeah, attempted to complete a suicide. And um, obviously if I hadn't taken the course the week before, well, on that week, I would have been lost in that situation. Like I've always been uh, open pair of ears, but it was like practicality. There's like, there's levels, like you can always be a great friend, but the problem is without professional help, you're not really gonna get anywhere, I think is where, where, where I'd sit with it. And yeah, my friend, um, I remember I straight away, I 
been thinking what I'd learned on the course. Okay, need to get someone around. So I managed to get hold. He, he they weren't answering their phone at the time. Um, me remember, I sent a friend for support, and yeah, got somebody around there. Then all of our, our friends who were in this little group, there was three of us. We were like chatting, and one of them was on the phone at the time. And like literally, I had like prompt questions, answers to give. At the same time, I was uh, messaging Toby Hanna for links to things like Mind and um, different like mental health foundations that could go help him find a counselor, this sort of thing. And yeah, like thankfully, like all this information kind of sunk in. And it was just like the perfect time for it. You know, it was like. One of those things where I don't know, it just so fresh in my mind. I, I was sat with the booklet. I remember when I got home on the table, I'm looking through, I'm like going through notes, this and that. I can't recite it as well at the moment. I don't have the book in front of me, but it was just useful skills and it made, made me like remain calm and not insert. Yeah, again, this thing, ego always comes back to it, but it's like, I think without the course, it would have been, if I was talking to them, it would become about me, if you know what I mean? Because I've suffered from my own mental health, is like really being open-eared, thinking, okay, take out, like, they're a good friend of me, but what do they need professionally in terms of help? How do I make this situation so it doesn't repeat itself? And, yeah, from that, my friend's got help. He's um, amazing now. He's back in work. He's doing great. Like, it, it's just one of those things. And, like, obviously, without naming names before, I remember we'd had some challenges back when, we're at school and this, and I remember I gave him a guitar because I thought, oh, that's gonna help this and that because he was a bit low. So I gave him my old guitar, incredible player, better than me, hate him for that, but whatever, <laughs> we'll go past that. But yeah, obviously that didn't work. The thing, if I would have known back then, would have straight away got him onto a counselor and maybe we could have stopped that a bit earlier. But either way, the work's been put in now and obviously Kelly's cause has done so much for it, but at the same time, big respect to um, the person because they've taken it on their own head and just done so much and I'm very proud of them. Also, I haven't told you how I've used this actually very recently. Yeah, I'm cycling back home and when I'm getting past like sort of the Royal Albert Hall by Hyde Park, I see people with their phones on the corner of the road. I'm like thinking there's a situation going on, what's going on? So I stop on my bike, I see this uh, poor woman and she's having a crisis in the middle of the road, like having absolute panic like and yeah she's screaming she's lying down in the middle of the road cars are zooming past zooming past and i'm just looking around no one's helping everyone's like trying to film so of course i go to the middle of the road and i say to swim like are you okay what's going on like and she's there and she's like oh, bless her heart like she's really really struggling and she's calling me a bastard like throwing profanities at me and i know it's not her so i stayed there i was like that's all fine. That's all fine. But come walk with me to the side of the road. Bless this old dearie comes up with me and walks next to me. And she's like, oh, can I help? I was like, oh, I'm not too sure. Like, um, who should we call at this point? Does anybody know this woman? She's like, oh, she's been here for like the past five minutes doing this. I was like, why has no one stopped this? Why has no one stepped into this? Anyway, with that, the woman stands up and starts walking towards me, but with this intent, like this look in her eye and bless, um, this old woman, she's now gone to the pavement because she's a bit scared. And I have my, I've got long dreadlocks and I have my locks down. This woman grabs hold of my dreadlocks, right? And I'm like, that's all fine. That's all fine, dear. Hold on to that. 
I end up leading her to the pavement while she's holding my dreadlocks like I'm a dog. <laughs> and <laughs> I get her to the side of the road and she's like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing now? I'm like, oh, we're just going to have a little sit. We're going to have a chat, aren't we? So, oh, okay, okay. So I see this little bollard. I'm like, how about you sit down there and I'm just going to quickly call somebody and just stay there for me, yeah? So she goes by this bollard. Luckily, the cyclist just stops by me and he's like, I'm making a help anyway. And obviously I'm a bit hungover and like we both don't look great me and this woman so I think everyone thinks we're a couple it was it's all a bit of a madness but uh yeah the bike courier stops next to me he's like oh anything I could do to help it's like can you see any hivers can you see any police on the road he's like down the road I swear I cycle past some policemen and I was like oh perfect um can you cycle and grab them at the same time I'm thinking who I can call and with that I see this woman now she's hitting this bollard she's kicking she's screaming again and when he goes to cycle out of the corner of my eyes, see this woman just run to the side of the road. Now this is where it gets a bit, <laughs> my heart started, gets gets a bit jittery because she ran to the road and it's like something out of film. There is a lorry coming, doing around 40 miles per hour. So I had to chase her to the road, I grab her by the shoulders because like usually I just shout, stop this and that, but it's too close, grab by the shoulder, thing whizzes past her face. I've got hold of her, she's like, like hitting, screaming. So I let go of her again. I'm, she's in the middle of the road again. I'm trying to stop traffic. And yeah, I follow this woman. I get her to sit down again on the stoop of these apartments. And yeah, with that, she's like, no, you're the devil. You're the devil, uh, bastard, calling me these names. I'm like, it's fine. It's fine. Just please just sit. Just sit. We can we can talk about this. Just sit. And then she sees these apartments are open and runs inside. With that, the police arrive and follow her in and sort her out. But um, with this, I was shaking, of course, like my heart's beating. And the bike courier, he cycles back up to me. I was like, mate, can I shake your hand? So actually stopping and trying to help. He's like, no, can I shake your hand? He's like, as soon as I saw that lorry coming, I closed my eyes because she was going to get flattened. She was going to get flattened. He's like, if you weren't there. But it's like the one thing, like even this foundation has taught me, it's like we usually see those people and you think, oh, they're on drugs or this and that. Like there was like everyone's filming for attention, but it's like you can just see this woman's having a real crisis. Like, I didn't need to so much get involved or like let get physical or whatnot, but it was just that whole thing of noticing someone's in a crisis. It's not drugs. She's having a, a like a real episode, bless her. And she just needed help. She needs someone to chat to. Da, 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 da. So luckily um, I haven't heard what's happened after that, but the police dealt with her. Um, hopefully she's got the help she needed, but it's yeah, again, just recognizing these little things and the people you can go help. I can't imagine how much your heart was racing while that was happening. Because while you were telling me that story, I was my heart was racing, <laughs> and I feel like a bit hot and sweaty after that. That's honestly amazing. Like I think you're probably one in a million in that case of someone who would actually stop and get involved and help. But like you're absolutely right. Like she just needed someone to look out for her, and you have genuinely saved her life. So that's now two people's lives that you've saved. So that's well done. Probably more. Probably more than that. There's probably other stories. <laughs> when I train mental health first aiders, we talk about it, your, your friends, your family, your mm. colleagues, your neighbors. And we do also talk about it from a perspective of like, what if you come across someone on the street and yeah. how can you help and support them? Because that's what we need. Sometimes people don't have anyone looking out for them. And I can't believe that someone would just stop and film mm. while someone is clearly in distress. It's like a little bit disturbing that that's the kind of society that we live in now, oh. I guess. Um, okay. So, I want to talk about what you would like the hospitality industry to look like in 10 years time. Oh. So in 10 years time, what would you want it to look like? And um, 
you know, how, how do you think it could be better from what it is now? So, yeah, like what you uh, mentioned earlier about this, like sort of uh, four day work week, I think like things like that being installed and just like to get a little bit personal, to be honest, um, I remember um, there was hospitality action, which is like been quite big when I was a chef. I'd like to just see more like their yeah, sources like that or like Kelly's cause where it's like we can get counsellors for chefs and like like this whole stigma of mental health breaks down in terms of like cooking advancements stuff like that i've got no idea there's creatives there's like new people coming out the scenes that are going to be doing amazing food but i just think for me personally it's more just about making that a safe space making that a diverse space oh i see head chefs of all different races backgrounds genders like you know it's like even the vegan come up getting some wicked people being able to play with these spaces of food and just like kitchens i think the way they work just changing i just I hate that whole old trope of like the beaten down, angry, grumpy chef who's been through it and done this thing like it was the, like the military. We're so past that now. We're so past that. And yeah, I just think, yeah, 10 years time, I was, I'd like to see kitchens with generally just happy chefs that have social lives, that have like a good workspace and a health, healthy bodies and healthy minds, really. I think, yeah, that's all we can like kind of hope and pray for really in my eyes. Yes, amen to that. And isn't that really simple? Like, <laughs> it's so, so simple. Have you watched Boiling Point? Yes, I have. Okay, okay. We're going to talk about Boiling Point because I went to see it in the cinema on Friday. The first time I've been to cinema in probably three years. I went with my boyfriend and was like, oh, we'll probably be the only people here. It was absolutely rammed, this cinema, like full. And I was like, every second person here is a chef. I can spot them a mile off. They just have an aura about them. Chefs just have this <laughs> energy, like chef, I don't know, ego probably <laughs> um, around them. But I want to hear your thoughts on it because personally, I thought it was incredibly, incredibly accurate. No spoilers, by the way, in this, if you've not seen it, or there's not really anything to spoil. It's not really a, a plot-based movie. I thought it was incredibly accurate. Two things that irritated me. One, they took the wine open to the table, which would never happen in a restaurant <laughs> of that caliber. And two, um, one of the chefs, the way that they were, their chopping skills, I was like, they look so unnatural. <laughs> like, it just, it wasn't right. But the rest was so, so accurate. But I also thought, why in a time when we are desperate for people to come and work in the industry and restaurants are literally closing left, right and center, having to close for services, not being able to open for lunch, all of these things. Why are we putting out this kind of propaganda that is going to turn people in the other direction? And yes, it was incredibly accurate, but it was also very, very toxic. And I think that yeah, I'd just be interested to hear your thoughts because I spent most of it watching it. I spent most of the time watching it with my head in my hands, not being able to look because it was actually quite traumatic. Okay. Well, I've just realised I think I'm thinking of the wrong film. It's not the one with Bradley Cooper, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I was like, thinking, I was like, let's cinema recently. I am so sorry. Yeah, I have not seen Boiling Point. I don't know what that film with Bradley Cooper is, but I've watched one with Bradley Cooper. It's like, oh, what was that? It wasn't that. I definitely watched it. <laughs> <laughs> but you tell me about Boy the Point, please. It, it's a film. You should watch it because okay, I'm very, okay. very interested to hear your thoughts. But it doesn't have Bradley Cooper. <laughs> Are you thinking of Burnt? You're I'm thinking of the one where I'm... Bradley Cooper shocks a million oysters yeah, to yeah, pay yeah. off his debt. Yeah, yeah, a different <laughs> film entirely. So let's hear about what's next for Zach in the next few years what what are your hopes and dreams what do you want to work on what would you love to see happen
happening for you? Very glad you actually asked because I've got for the first time in my life, a kind of like sort of five-year plan. I've got, I've explained, which I won't go into depth with, I've got a company idea that I want to kind of release in the next sort of four or five months, which will still be hospitality related, but yeah, sorry, no giveaways. Maybe in the future we could come back and talk about it. One thing I've actually really want to do past my sort of thirties. So yes, in the next three years, I want to sort of transition from chef and I actually want to go into counseling. So I remember um, me when I did my counseling, when I like, uh, as previously mentioned before, I had like a complete breakdown in the kitchen and counseling really did save me. Like it really did sort me out. And I remember I've always been, uh, as me and Toby I was saying, we had great chats in the kitchen. I always like love these sort of chats, like about mental health. Yeah, I remember on my sixth counseling session, I was sat with my counselor, David, shout out, amazing man. Thank you so much. And uh, I was always very open and very honest about how I was feeling at the time. And it was the sweetest thing that's ever happened. I go to my sixth counseling session and he just laid out all this paperwork on the table. I was like, what's this David? He's like, so I don't know how you go react to this snack, but he's like, I've got a new idea for this session. He's like, I think you should go into counseling. I was like, what do you mean? And like, honestly, David suggested for me to become a counsellor. He's showing me different schools, like universities I could go to. And like, it was not something that I've always been interested in, just having good conversations, you know, having open ears and like having someone recognise that was beautiful, was unprompted. And the thing he did say to me is like, the thing is, uh, at that time I would have been, I think 25, 24. And he's like, you're a bit young now, because of course, if I'm talking to adults, I need a bit more life experience. Like. I'm willing to have like a good chat with anybody, you know, but um, yeah, he turns around to me and yeah, just lay it down. He's like, I think once you've hit sort of 30, I think you should really just retrain and be a counsellor. And yeah, from there, I'm like still looking at different schools to go to. I want to be an NHS certified. So yeah, I think in the next sort of, yeah, hopefully three to five years, that's the sort of space I'll be in. And yeah, again, I'd love to work with chefs and people that were similar in my situation or just generally anyone that needs a chat, you know? Like, I think, yeah, that that's my sort of plan. And then also have my little company on the side of that. But yeah, still be within hospitality, but a completely different aspect of it. That's so cool to hear. Shout out to David, sounds like an absolute legend. Um, and it's, it's honestly so refreshing to hear someone speak so openly about their experience in counselling, especially a man. Um, you're actually the first man we've had on this podcast. Ooh. Rachel was like, you need to get some men you want to talk to. And I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> that was my first thought. To hear someone speak so openly about that and the fact that he's actually inspired you to then kind of go on and do that and help people. And it's so, so important. What other things you do to look after your mental health? So obviously counselling is very helpful. It is counselling therapy. It's amazing. It honestly is life changing. And anyone who thinks they don't need to go to counselling or therapy definitely needs to go yeah. to counselling or therapy. But it is, it's so beneficial. It's obviously, you know, there's issues in accessing it. We know that NHS wait long lists are very long, things like that. But um, it is very beneficial. But aside from counselling, what other things have you found that have been helpful for you in terms of looking after your own mental health? Well, um, what I found really, it's like changed quite a lot. So I think there's things like keeping sort of tidy and it's like even just noticing for me, if I find out my space is really messy and stuff like that, I might, I'll, I'll start feeling it in my body. I'm like, oh, 
like it's one of those things where I will start being like quite worried for my mental health. Like, so I've got to keep on top of being clean. That's the first thing. Exercise is massive for me. Um, I think during lockdown was a big test for everybody. And I think that's when all of these needed to be really put into practice. So yeah, for me, um, it's writing a lot. So I uh, do a bit of poetry on the side, play a bit of guitar. I've got the dreadlocks, so it's me trying to live my biggest hippie life. But it's just really, really like, sometimes like I think when people think of something like poetry, they think of someone like quite up their own ass, to be frank, who just wants to tell their whole story to sort of world. But for me, I write, and every time I write, I don't ever really share. And it's more for me, and then I can go back, I'll look and be like, Oh, I've crossed the milestone. Oh, this is how I was feeling back then. And I can compare it to now. And it's like, I was watching, um, have you seen a show called Flowers? Dark comedy all about uh, mental health. And I was watching this actually yesterday, uh, finishing the second series. And they make this big analogy about this um, thing called the monster. And they say mental health or depression in this case, it's like this invisible monster and it can come across anywhere you don't know how to fight it and Olivia Coleman's in the series and she makes this um, comment where she's like every monster has a weakness and she says to the, the um, main character uh, maybe this monster's weakness is love and to which he replies um, <laughs> yeah so he replies um, yeah love actually makes it worse and this is something I kind of really empathize with and like agreed with because I think for me which helps my mental health when I was really struggling I was um very fixated on x and like previous feelings and like it wasn't it wasn't love so much it was um the problem it was not having enough love for myself codependency so it's now it's all, like I'm I wouldn't say selfish but it's more about like just being more in love with myself than like putting all my eggs into another basket, you know, and that's really helped. And even comparing my thoughts to how I was like two years ago when I was really struggling. So like I haven't felt to that level still like always going to have breaks. It's like just having the right tools to like assess. It's like I'm a running car at the moment and sometimes I need an MOT, you know what I mean? And yeah, with that one of the biggest things is it's like the people that make you feel unhealthy. Sadly, like one thing about like growing is sometimes you do need to cut people off. And it's a hard process, it's not easy to do. And yeah, since doing that, that's a big thing that's helped. So it's just keeping my space with people that I know have my best interests at heart and their best interests at heart and just being independent whilst having a good social circle to have my back, you know? So yeah, that's that's what I'd say to that. That is such a profound spot on answer. I love the bit about cleanliness because I would like to remind you of probably about three years ago, when every day I would have to raise my voice at you for your mess in the kitchen, <laughs> right? Yeah. All the time. But that's that's great. It's all about growth. And it kind of sounds to me like your poetry is almost like your way of journaling. So it's a yeah. way of like getting those thoughts, those feelings out, and then being able to look back at them and think, well, this is how far I've come. This is how I was feeling before. And this is, you know, where I've got to now and where I've got to go. Um, what we're going to do is uh, get into our quick fire questions, because I have a feeling, knowing you as I do, that these are not going to be quick answers. <laughs> um, so what's normally a quick fire question is me asking you, like, what's your favourite this or this or that? But I'm prepared for you to have a story to go with every answer. So uh, what's your favourite source? I think I can already predict the answer that's going to come with this. <laughs> 
Do you want to make a guess, actually? Is it your own homemade chili jam? Oh, yeah. You got it spot on. Chili jam, by all means. It's one of those things. Yeah. I'm, 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 gonna, I'm not even going to deep this one, but just chili jam, chili jam, and more chili jam. My favourite thing in the world. It's legendary, your uh, chili jam. What's the best thing you've eaten in bread recently? Oh, that's a really... That's quite a tough one for me. Uh, I don't do a lot, a lot of bread. Uh, I think the best thing I've eaten, if it counts, is actually burrito. I know it's a tortilla, but I had a banging like pulled jackfruit burrito the other day. Absolutely pit. Love that. We'll give we'll give a burrito as a bread. That counts. <laughs> That's allowed. Um, what are you listening to right now? Music, podcasts, what what's in your ears? Oh, great question. So um in terms of podcasts, um, I listen to a lot of Hip Hop Save My Life with Ramesh Rang and Nathan. And also Seth Rogen's got this like amazing podcast at the moment where they just tell stories. But like the diversity of stories, it's one will be about a bear attack, one will be a couple telling a story, going to Italy and ordering crayfish. Like it's really diverse and just one of those things that are quite nice to listen to before I sleep. And then in terms of music, I don't think my music taste like really that develops that much. I'm still listening to a lot of the Beatles, a lot of like lo-fi hip hop. And yeah, going back to kind of 2000s recently, I went out and oh my God, it's trashy. I was listening to loads of pop punk and I realized I've got a real soft spot for a bit of pop punk. <laughs> I can't believe I've just said that in public. I'm embarrassed by myself. Don't be embarrassed. Think about what we used to listen to in the kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> true. I've recently become obsessed with listening to the Spotify playlist, which are the top hits of 2001, 2002, and 2003. I would highly recommend if you want to feel old because those things were now 20 years ago. Okay, if you could have just one, if you could use just one spice for the rest of your life, what would it be? Cinnamon. Cinnamon all the way. It's my favourite thing to put into anything. Honestly, goes in tea goes and curry as we know like even if i'm cooking meat like I, I personally don't eat meat but i cook a lot for the staff and cinnamon with chicken cinnamon with beef cinnamon with everything i'm quite cinnamon obsessed I, yeah if all spices disappeared and i had cinnamon i'd still be a very very happy man i think do you know what's really funny is when it was the kelly's cause birthday rachel and i switched this around and she interviewed me and that was my answer as well yeah come on I think it might be like some kind of cricket indoctrination because in cricket you put cinnamon in <laughs> literally every single thing that you cook. Um, so maybe that's what it is. And that's also what I said, the versatility, like sweet, savory, like Mexican, Indian, mm. like it's just it's just so tasty. It's so good. It's like nourishing and warming. And and um, I remember once when we had um, this lady from the spot, were you working cricket then? Ren, Ren, who came, lady. the spice lady, is absolutely incredible. Um, and she came and she taught us all about spices and she told us to just eat cinnamon raw. And I was like, what? That's crazy. And I ate it and it was so good. It's like mm. when I was younger, I used to be obsessed with these boiled cinnamon sweets. Um, I had a very sophisticated palate for a seven-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> but this is exactly what it was like. And it was like proper, true cinnamon stick that you could just like munch on. And it was it was absolutely delicious. So big up the cinnamon cinnamon gang um what is your number one fridge staple oh oh okay um usually i know you don't need to keep them in the fridge like 
yeah, argue with that, whatnot, but it's eggs. I eat so many eggs, eggs, eggs. Um, yeah, I think that's my biggest staple. I just think, well, if I'm feeling lazy in the morning, guess what I'm having? Eggs. Dinner, eggs. Lunch, eggs. Every Eggs is eggs, and eggs is everything. I love it. <laughs> I changed my mind. That's going to be the line that we're going to take to promo this podcast. <laughs> eggs is eggs, and eggs is everything. <laughs> Last one on our quick fire, dream dinner guest, but I want to widen this to be your dream dinner party. So I want to hear who are the like four or five people you're going to invite and what are you as a chef going to cook for them? I think firstly, but I've got to invite a chef, of course, and it, can they be living, dead? Like, okay, so I'd start off definitely with Bourdain. He, he's got to be at my meal. I think, yeah, I'd just love to pick apart that man's uh, brain. I think if I'm cooking for a chef, I think he's going to be the guy in terms of celebrities. I think I'd do like maybe the classic, like Bob Marley's got to have a seat at the table. Ray Charles for me would have to have a seat at the table. And Billie Holiday, just because she is the absolute queen of 1940s. I would just love to hear her experiences back in the day with music, whatever it is, life. I just, I would love to cook for all these people. And what I would cook uh shows how much uh we've developed over the years i think i'll do a curry just because i think it's the easiest thing to cook for meat eaters where if i make it a veggie one like i, I actually had this experience quite recently so over christmas the older i'm getting now i cook christmas dinner which is a big a big <laughs> accolade for me like uh, my, my parents can't quite believe it but it's like yeah now i'll take control of christmas this year though and sorry if you're listening like dad but um, my father cooked Christmas dinner uh, with my stepmom, and it was an amazing spread, great, great, great. And I was a bit put down because I was like, oh, kind of would, I would have quite liked to uh, cook. But oh, well, and they were like, oh, Zach, we'll give you Boxing Day. So you can cook up for us all on Boxing Day. So I was like, cool, this is my Master Chef challenge. So I took all the uh, leftovers, I did this big veggie spread. Like I did like a little Brussels sprout forehand classic. Um, like some Hasselback uh, squash with like sage and almond butter. And yeah, just did all these little veggie side dishes. Now, everyone on the table bar, my twin sister and my little sister are meat eaters. So I think there was around seven of us, three of us vegetarians. Uh, my dad is a big red meat and like just a big meat fan, you know? So I still cooked off a bit of turkey, did a bit of beef, this and that on the side. Now, when I'm sharing on these plates, I had that moment, like me and my dad don't always see eye to eye, let's say, but it was a beautiful moment where I put on his plate, he's already stacked up full of chicken. Now he's trying all the side pieces and he goes, wow, wow, I didn't know, I did not know vegetables could taste this way. And he takes the chicken, takes the beef off his plate, puts it back onto the platter and just goes fully onto it and just starts eating it. Everybody left the meat, they're finishing. I've actually been text funny enough by my stepmom today asking for one of the recipes I cooked for uh, Christmas, which I do need to reply to. Sorry, Kirsty. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think I just like to do a veggie spread for these people. You know? That's so great. Honestly, also your impersonation of your dad was excellent. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. That is just a very, very nice story. You're such a good storyteller. Oh, thank I think you. you should host your own podcast. Oh, no, I'd, I'd like to just come here. <laughs> <laughs> we can do some more. Honestly, thank you so much. It's been so, so great to chat. 
um, catch up on lots of things and hear your stories and hear that you're putting those skills that you've learned on training um, into practice, you know, even two years later and, and helping people. And I'm so excited to see what's next. And we're going to have to have you back on when you've launched your business to hear all about it because I got the inside info. I know what it is and it's great. So we'll definitely have you back on. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. It's actually a real, real pleasure, a real honour to come in and have this chat with you. And yet again, I would like to shout out Kelly's cause and shout out Toby because I'm mad proud of her because this is an amazing platform. Beyond the Past is produced by Kelly's Cause Foundation. For more information about Kelly's Cause, please head to kellyscause.com or find us on Instagram at kellyscause.